0: Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Brandon Ward.
1: And I'm Ron Joylock.
0: We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. I'm really excited for today's discussion on the life of a pastor because we are joined by a dear friend of mine, Dr. Neil Thornton. Dr. Thornton is pastor of Coates Baptist Church in Coates, North Carolina. Uh, He's one of the regular contributors to our blog. He's written some excellent articles, including Preaching a Suicide Funeral, The Phantoms of Pastoral Ministry, and most recently, Tips for the Trial Sermon, Preaching in View of a Call. Neil, brother, I am so glad you've taken some time to join our conversation today.
2: Thank you for having me. It's a joy to be here.
0: I don't know if you know this, but you were actually the first person to write an article for our center's website. Uh, I believe the title of the article was The Pastor's Closet Life, and it dealt with the pastor's prayer life. Uh, Today, however, we're discussing something a little similar, but also a little different, uh, the pastor's whole life, the pastor's life as a whole. So you've served as a pastor for for several years now. Uh, walk us through what the life of a pastor looks like day to day, long term. Uh, how and and how is the the life of a pastor different from from a layperson? If you could walk us through those two things,
2: sure thing. Uh, I'm, my mind's going back to a, a C.S. Lewis quote where he said he was understands the the human body to be mind, soul, and spirit, and and they catch one another's diseases, that we're all connected. And as I think about the life of a pastor, um, that that analogy comes to my mind, that, that all of life truly is connected, that we mm-hmm. cannot compartmentalize, um, that God has called us to be a pastor. Um, although our identity is not in our ministry, but in the Lord Jesus, uh, we do understand that by virtue of his call on our life, that we are surrendered to the King and um, that we do not have the the option to, to bifurcate areas of life and compartmentalize. So yeah, absolutely. We can think through just a little bit about what the pastor's life looks like. I, I think we have talked earlier about day-to-day versus week-to-week, perhaps even year-to-year. Um, when I'm thinking about just day-to-day life, and, and typically that's when most of the questions come, uh, you know, Pastor, what, how do you structure your day? And uh, most of this is not really original with, with me. It's, it's just from a, a life lived under the tutelage of, of a lot of good, godly men. But um, t- taking the approach of giving your mornings to God, uh, your afternoons to men, and your evenings to your family. Uh, that that's not cookie cutter. That's not Monday through Saturday, uh, but that's that's the that's the goal. That when I wake up in the morning, uh, I don't really have anything else on my mind or on my schedule other than uh, here I am, Lord. Um, here is your servant. Use your servant. Uh, typically, that's sermon preparation. That's prayer. That's soul work, um, spiritual labor. And then as the day grows on, perhaps around noon. Some of this is because of how I'm wired. Um, things tend to grow a little more horizontal in the sense where I get a, a, a little more earthy. And that's where meetings come in and phone calls and lunches. And then as the day progresses, um, hello, family. And that's where dinner and baseball and board games and mm-hmm. all the rest comes in. That's just a maybe a segue into something else, but that's um, a touching down, at least, on, a, on the life of a pastor day-to-day.
1: Cool, cool. How, how does prayer fit in with the the life of the pastor? Um, uh, you know, of course, in the Scriptures it talks about uh, men lifting up holy hands and mm-hmm. so on in 1 Timothy. Well, yep. Why is it important for pastors to be men of prayer? Sure thing. My mind goes to two texts, the one
2: you just mentioned and then also Acts 6-4. Um, I, th- I think it was HP Charles that, that that gave the analogy uh, that prayer and preaching are like the two wings of an airplane if you mm-hmm. don't if you lose one the whole thing goes down mm-hmm. and I think he's right in that not only textually but experientially in the life of the pastor that that as as men called to such an office we, we are called to a spiritual labor mm-hmm. and the spiritual enterprise is as such that it takes one, given one's life, uh, to the spiritual endeavors, the spiritual labor. And that was something that I think caught me off guard early in ministry, that I, I could do the physical work of ministry. I could make the hospital visits, if we could kind of categorize that. I, I could write the notes. I could make visits. I could do intellectual work. I, I, could, I could even write blog posts and send emails and plan meetings um, but the true test of of true ministry, uh, supernatural, otherworldly work, is is can you give yourself to lifting spiritual weight, mm-hmm. and and that is where the the prayer life of a pastor begins to be all the more critical. Mm-hmm. Is that am I a man uh, that can engage in the supernatural activity that God has called me to engage within? And uh, I, I don't understand how we can be spiritual leaders without being a man of prayer. so that that that's my take on why prayer is so vitally important is because the pastoral office, by virtue of the office uh, you you are called to spiritual leadership and to a life of engaging the supernatural enterprise of Christian ministry.
0: Mm-hmm. Pastors are the shepherds, mm-hmm. the the overseers of the church. They're responsible for caring for the souls of their people. How can pastors make sure they're caring for their own souls as well? What are things they might could do to shepherd themselves? Is that even something they can do?
2: Sure thing. And I have um, I see myself almost as uh, either Exhibit A or a test case of this because I am. Capital P in process when it comes to this. I'm learning the finesse of soul care, shepherding myself. Uh, So, if there's any thing we talk about today on the podcast, this would be the one that I'm I'm speaking and teaching myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I I would say this that one of the things I've learned is to not over spiritualize soul care. Mm Uh, there, there is place, and rightfully so, to, to making sure you know you you, as the old adage says, says that we we are feeding our souls before we're finding our sermons. Mm-hmm. Um, that that that's going to land differently in the life of of various pastors, depending on how they're wired and how they're bent. If they're introverts, extroverts, um, but but what I have found is that because um, we are so familiar with the things of God in the pastorate. Uh, we're in our Bible so much um, we we are in in season and out of season doing the work of ministry. Uh, what I have found to be particularly helpful is to be reminded that Neil you you need to be human mm. in the sense that you need to to lean in to relationships outside the church mm. extracurricular activities, uh, asking yourself. Um, on a regular basis, Neil, when was the last time that you just had fun? Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, that's going and playing nine holes of golf, maybe 27, <laughs> depending on the day. Um, that's spending some quality time with my family that's outside the normal rhythms of life. Uh, obviously, there there are seasons of pastoral ministry that are more conducive to that um, and not, but Soul care looks more comprehensive than just spiritual things. Mm. and Not to the neglect of those, because we, we can talk about that obviously, but I don't want men and women to think that soul care is only, I just need to get my Bible more. Mm. It, it may be that you need to get a clear mind and get outside of the normal familiarities of pastoral ministry. Uh, so that you can receive God's grace fresh. And uh, that's something I've been working through in my own life is, is there a different approach to soul care uh, that that might not be as stereotypical as um, a pastor like myself might might think of?
0: Mm -hmm. One of the things that you said uh, was that pastors need to think of themselves as human. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you think that's a temptation that pastors might think, I'm a, I'm a pastor, I'm the shepherd. I really don't need to be struggling with these things. Yeah, like, I think so. Maybe I, I need to look pastor or power through it and, mm-hmm. and focus more on my people rather than myself.
2: Sure thing, and I think that's an unnecessary consequence that churches unintentionally place upon pastors, mm-hmm. that they are to be um, superhuman. They are to be omnipresent and all the rest. Um, I, I, I It was uh, someone like a Chuck Lawless or a Dr. Tom Rainer at one point Put, put a post or a, a podcast many years ago in ministry I listened to he, he simply added up the hours um, that churches unintentionally and innocently would, res, would would expect of of a pastor to, to put into the work week and it was just astronomical almost mm. superhuman and and we we can we can accidentally fall into that category that mm. that that I don't I, I forfeit my humanity when i when I Uh, enter into the pastoral ministry, and um, we we take our cues from Jesus, although he was the son of God. Um, The gospel of Mark, for instance, stresses his humanity, and and we understand that it's okay to sleep. Mm. It's okay to pull away. It's okay to eat with friends. (laughs) So uh, I, I do think, yes, there is a great temptation to think that I need to be someone that I'm not, when I enter into pastoral ministry, and actually, the greatest gift that you can be for your people uh, to play off of Mary McShane's "My Holiness" is you need to be yourself. You need to be a holy, um, a holy man that is walking in the in the shoes of 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 other pastors and other men and women in your church, and sharing sharing with your people that that you are you you are one of them, and you have you have
1: um, clay feet just like they do. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe this is uh, two questions. Uh, maybe this is one question. I'm going to ask both of them. Sure. And I'll let you answer it however you want, whether it be uh, one answer or two an- uh, two answers. But uh, what are the temptations uh, besides that? Uh, what, mm-hmm. are, what are some of the other temptations that pastors uh, typically face in ministry? And then another question is what is the hardest thing? About being the pastor. As you can see, you know, that could be the same thing. Oh, sure thing. <laughs> so I'll, I'll let you answer it however you will. Sure thing. So
2: temptations, I, I think of, of of two thoughts there. The, the first is more broadly in ministry, and then I'll think a little more tightly about the man himself. That, yeah. Because many times the problem is not them, it's me. It's who I am. But I think temptations in ministry, and, and my mind always goes here, and I, I get this from, from Alistair Begg many years ago. He said this. He said that, that, that pastors have three temptations, uh, the temptation to whine, shine, or recline. And <laughs> I, I love that, and that's always just um, stuck with me because I, I think about, um, wow, I have all the temptation in the world to just go through ministry complaining. Mm-hmm. complaining about someone else's problem, someone else's thing. Uh God has not given me uh the spiritual gift of complaining <laughs> and 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 he has not called me to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, neither has he put me in ministry to be self-aggrandizing. Neither has he put me there to to be on a pedestal, to shine for him. Um, the, the Christian life is not a life of self-denial, but or of self-expression, but of self-denial. Mm-hmm. So we understand that, that shining is certainly a temptation in ministry. But I think, just as I see my own self and review other men and, and hear other stories, that the reclining temptation, uh, the pastoral ministry is a great place to be lazy. It is a great place to just simply go along, to get along and uh, almost practice this ministry of all words and no work or uh, all activity and no accomplishment. I I personally, maybe it's because I like golf, uh, I I feel the winds blowing sometimes that uh, if if God would give me a ministry of just hanging out, I I could do that. Mm -hmm. I could just kind of bounce from one lunch meeting to the next, one nine holes to the next, and— as a pastor, by virtue of that office, you, you have to be someone that knows not only himself but knows how to lead himself and is self-disciplined, knows how to be alone in the office, knows how to take care of oneself when no one else is looking, mm-hmm. uh, which is the segue, I think, into getting into the temptations of your own personal life, mm-hmm. That that you have to be a man of integrity. In a sense, I think you could characterize and maybe summarize all of First Timothy 3, 1 through 7, as far as the character qualifications, save the competency of able to teach, uh, under just this question, are, are you able to be alone? Mm. Are you able to be alone by yourself? Are you the man on Tuesday at 3.17 in your office, p.m. in the afternoon, that your church thinks you are mm. and that your wife thinks you are? Uh, so a man who is able to be alone, who practices a, health, a healthy, not only self-knowledge but self-distrust, mm. uh, is is likely going to do well in ministry. Mm. So those are some temptations, both for the ministry but also for, for my, my, me as a man myself. I can answer thinking through maybe the hardest thing in ministry, uh, and I, th- I think uh, w- without sou- sounding just— cliche here the hardest thing in ministry is probably me Mm -hmm. that's probably the hardest thing Mm -hmm. it's it's as i said before it's probably not them it's not it's not them it's most likely me um because ministry exposes us doesn't it Mm -hmm. it exposes who we really are and we and we understand that we cannot fake that for long uh you can bounce from church to church two or three years here and there and no one really catches on but after a while they do um And you have to be all the more careful that uh, God's not called us to fake it. Mm -hmm. Um, God's called us to be real men who serve a real Savior Mm -hmm. by the
1: real empowering of the Holy Spirit.
0: Mm. Anything you would add to that, Ronjore?
1: You know, I I actually do uh, agree totally with that. And it's interesting because there's kind of a a, a theme that's emerging uh, in our conversation right now, and that is that uh, pastors... Uh, have to come to grips with their creatureliness, yes. if I could say it that way. Yes, you know, and that's one of the hardest things for us uh, as humans. Period. But especially as pastors, you know, we're we're um, we're called to be, you know, like Paul, and uh, as he says, you know, follow me as I follow Christ, or uh, walk, you know, in the in the pattern uh, that you see in me, and 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 things like that. And we think that that. Means that we've got to be superhuman, you know. Uh, we've we've got to be these these towering, uh, uh, you know, uh, super Christians that are you know that are um, you know that that haven't sinned in decades, you know, and <laughs> and, and and all of that. Right. And and it's interesting because that doesn't seem to be Paul. <laughs> no. yeah, That's not right. Paul at all. At all. Um, you know, Paul is a is a tent maker. You know, Paul uh, apparently knew how to, how to work with skins and things like that as a tent maker. Uh, Paul, uh, uh, of course, you know, talks about his own struggles with sin. Paul was very much ac- acutely aware of his past uh, as he mentions his testimony over and over and over again as a persecutor of the church and so on. Paul understood his uh, his depravity, uh, Paul understood his humanity um, and his limitations. You know, as a as a human, and so on. And of course, there are times where he pushed it to the absolute limit, uh, like the riot in Ephesus, where he's going, you know what? Maybe I should just go in there and tell them about Jesus. And everyone's like, No, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> get back over here, Paul. You're going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so there's that there's that sense in which um, uh, if we are going to follow in that pattern. Uh, And if we're obviously going to uh, live in such a way where our people uh, could see us as an example of godliness and so on, then we've got to come to grips with our creatureliness. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, We need the time to rest. We need the time to recharge. We need the time to, uh, of course, you know, uh, uh, go before the Lord, admitting our weaknesses, admitting our smallness, you know, in light of his transcendent uh, bigness, if you will. Uh, And and we need to be in that in that posture and have that awareness every single second of Mm -hmm. ministry or else we're not going to survive.
0: Amen. Yeah. I remember, I mean, being someone else is exhausting. Mm -hmm. Oh Uh, yeah. Being someone other than who you are is exhausting. I remember uh, early on in college ministry, having a conversation with a brother uh, who served uh, with me and he was just saying I'm burnt out. I remember us walking through that conversation, and, and me just asking, well, "What is it? You know, is it is it too much of the, the 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 small group study that we're doing? Is it too much of the responsibilities you've got here or there?" Mm-hmm. And he said, "No, I'm just tired of being someone other than myself." He said, yes. "Every time I I leave this small group, I get in my car and I hate myself mm-hmm. because I'm not myself." around other people and it's just not sustainable it's mm-hmm. you not know, i'd be really curious how many pastors are suffering from burnout not because of the responsibilities of pastoral ministry right but because they're 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 someone who they're not around their mm-hmm. people and it's mm-hmm. exhausting to be that it, it is. is a good
1: word yes
0: so you've shared a little bit about the hardest thing about pa- being a pastor you've shared a little bit about the temptations that that mm-hmm. the pastoral ministry can bring that might be a little bit more exclusive to pastors But what's the greatest thing about being a pastor? What is it that just puts a smile on your face about being a pastor?
2: (laughs) That's right. Two thoughts come to mind. First of all, that's a great question because we do need to ask that question. Uh, We don't simply need to live in the doldrums of pastoral ministry. Mm -hmm. We do need to understand that uh, it is a noble calling. It is a good thing to engage in pastoral ministry. Um, We need to have fun in pastoral ministry, uh, not um, juvenile type fun, but healthy fun, mm. uh, healthy sense, wholeness, sense of fun, and it's a good thing to ask, what is the greatest thing about pastoral ministry? Because by and large, there are great things. Uh, the first thing I was thinking of is that by, by virtue of the position of a pastor, you you get a perspective on a congregation, as a whole, and in particular, just individual people that most do not have. Mm-hmm. And uh, if the Lord tarries, and if um, my present ministry tarries, uh, and I stay there for a long time, I-, I will get to speak all the more on this, is that the perspective of watching a generation grow up under your under your ministry. Yeah. That um, I I joke with our people at, before and after the service, as I, I have little kids come up, especially um those that are rowdy, I'll say, I, I can't wait to do your premarital counseling. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, fifteen, twenty years from now. Um and and I, I hope that I get a perspective of walking the Christian pilgrimage with a people. And that that's twofold. That um there is a certain healthiness of they get to walk with me.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh there is thinking about knowing yourself and being yourself after a while uh, your people catch on they know who you are and that's a comforting thing mm-hmm. that 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 they don't just say they love you they really do love you and right. and you know they love you because you've messed up a time or two mm-hmm. and they've extended grace to you so that's number 1 probably by virtue of your position but then as as time goes on and I, I'm I'm kind of smacking here of John Maxwell from position to permission in leadership, there will come a time where you have permission of influence that when when things go wrongly or rightly, they call you mm-hmm. and they want to hear what you have to say uh sometimes that's just simply because you are their pastor, but we hope and pray that's actually because they really do want to hear what you have to say about something they want you to make the visit they want you to be there uh, they want you to to speak into this situation so and I'm thinking of, of two texts, 2 Timothy 2, six. you know, the farmer gets the first share of the crops. I think about Hebrews 13.17 um, of giving an account for shepherding souls, uh, that it is a great thing to be a pastor, especially over the long haul. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are great incentives for long-tenured ministries. I think this is just one of them, uh, that you take the long view with people. And you get to see God's hand of sanctifying grace uh, that, you know, one, one day your congregation, in a sense, is going to stand up and say, I, I, I thank God um, that after 20 years of ministry, um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily who I want to be, but praise God, I'm not who I used to be. Mm-hmm. And, and you know that. Mm-hmm. And, and by God's grace, perhaps you've played a part in that. That's a wonderful thing. That's what
1: I would say for greatest things about being a pastor. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you there the the joys uh of of seeing God working through his word. Yes. to cultivate a people, you know, who who go through life together, mm-hmm. you know, but to get to a point like you see in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 where we share each other's joys yes. and we share each other's sorrows. Um And we, you know, we are legit. We're a family. Yes. You know, and to see the family form and the family grow is, is, yeah, there, you don't, you don't get it until you're there. (laughs) That's exactly <laughs> you know, I know right. people uh, the presidents uh, talk that way mm-hmm. you know um, uh, I have a, a book of, of about past presidents, and they would say, you know if you've never sat in this seat mm-hmm. you know and you've never been behind this desk, you know you really don't understand and 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 of course, you know we've been there, you know we think we know about pastoring until we're pastoring, and then all of a sudden we're there, and we're going, I don't have a clue what' I'm, mm-hmm. <laughs> what, yes. I'm, what I'm talking about or what I'm doing. Um, but that's one of those joys that when you're there and, and you, you start to, to be a part of a family and you see, as you said, you, know, you get that perspective where you see what God is doing um, and how he's shaping a people you know, yes. in this community you know, for his namesake. Is, it, it, I mean, I don't know how you can't fall on your face mm-hmm. <laughs> and just worship the Lord for, uh, uh, for, for such an opportunity to be a part of what he's doing. So, yeah, absolutely. What have you learned over the years? Uh, so how, how long have you been in pastoral ministry? So I have been in the, my current church uh, for almost five
2: years. Before that, I was serving a church for nearly four. Mm-hmm. And then I was um, what you might call a staff pastor. I was ordained, but I was not the lead preaching pastor for almost four. So mm-hmm. doing the math, maybe about a dozen years, 12 mm-hmm. years, I was ordained in twenty. 2010. Mm-hmm. So coming up on 12 years of pastoral ministry, the the bulk of which a lead pastor.
1: Okay. Okay. So what mm-hmm. have you learned in mm-hmm. that time span? Uh, you know what? What are some things that uh, that that these lessons and so on have taught you uh, that have helped you uh, so that now you could say you know you yes. you aren't where you used to be.
2: Sure thing. Well, spoiler alert here. Um, love seminary. Mm -hmm. want to advocate for seminary i have two seminary degrees um you know the old adage of if god's called you to ministry he's called you to prepare and to plan so to go to seminary if if the lord allows uh having said that seminary cannot teach you everything Mm. about ministry so i'll answer this in the sense of everything I've learned not in seminary. So um, yes, I've learned a lot about my Bible and all the rest, but much of that can be learned in seminary. Let me, let me just say a few things of what I've learned under maybe the banner of um, being caught more than taught, um, knowing pastors, rubbing shoulders with them, understanding life with them. Um, die another day mm-hmm. in the sense of not every hill is worth dying on, And that's a humility check for most of us pastors. I know it has been and is for me. Um, A philosophy I live by in pastoral ministry is that I'm never wanting to make issues that don't need to be issues Mm -hmm. in the sense of if I don't make it an issue, it may not be an issue. Mm -hmm. So I need to be very, very careful what I hit the gas on Mm -hmm. and what I push play on. Uh, not everything has to be front and center. So um, I'm just thinking about my my last you know, few years in ministry and, and mistakes I've made, and uh, maybe a cousin of dying on a hill is are making things issues that no one's asking to be issues. Mm-hmm. So, so don't take that opportunity. Um, playing the long game, taking the long view of ministry in the sense of don't you know, overestimate what you can do in one year or five years, but don't underestimate what five, 10, 15 years can, can do in ministry. And uh, we live in such a microwave, just-add-water society that uh, we think that everything that works in a snow globe environment in seminary automatically translates into right. pastoral ministry. I, I tell young men, uh, specifically like here at, at Southeastern uh, just, just because you can say that in Bingley Chapel does not mean you can say it at First Baptist XYZ mm-hmm. uh, or that the people at that First Baptist church will even know who you're talking about. So uh, it takes time uh, cultivating um, there. The, the, the Word does the work in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, keep your hand to the plow. Be faithful in season and out of season uh, to, to discharge a healthy, robust ministry of exposition Um, Maybe the last thing I would say is trust really is the secret sauce, Uh, that if you don't have trust with your people and vice versa, Mm. I'm not so sure how much ministry can truly be done. Mm. So especially early in ministry, in a a place of ministry, I would say, uh, work overly hard to build trust with your people. And, and, and they will not only appreciate that, but but that will, that will likely become the fabric and the foundation of much of what you do in ministry. Mm-hmm. If your people can trust you, uh, it, it is somewhat the sine qua non of ministry. If you don't have it there, I'm not so sure what else can be there. Uh, but if it is there and your people know that you love them and that you trust them and that they ought to trust you, especially when you have a Bible in your hand— mm-hmm. um, then then you will likely do well in that place of ministry mm-hmm. so those are some of the things I've learned that seminary does not directly teach me I, maybe at a lunch with a professor, but from a curriculum mm-hmm. you're not you may not get those, and those have been learned through many trials and tribulations i'll say yeah. sure. <laughs> that's good. sure that's
0: good. that's good that's really helpful yeah uh every pastor wants to be successful. I don't mm-hmm. think we would ask, if we surveyed pastors all across the world, I don't think anybody would say, I don't want to be successful. Sure. Uh, and so I'm actually going to ask you a question that I was recently asked. Mm-hmm. Uh, asked. And so I'm just interested to see what you what, what your response would be. How do you measure success in ministry? How can a pastor who's maybe at the end of their life or, or towards the end of their ministry reflect back and think, was I successful?
2: Mm-hmm. That's a great question and usually that question is answered with the faithfulness answer. And that's a right answer I think. Uh there's nothing wrong with that answer. But many times people are left wanting they're 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 asking, well what does that even mean? I understand. And it can be hard to
0: measure. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh what does it mean to be faithful? And, and by the way, a footnote to this is that pastors suffer from, from what has been called product envy in the sense that how do I know if I'm making a difference? Mm-hmm. You know, I, if I was a salesman, I could just print the report mm. and say, here's my bottom line. It is what it is. But as a pastor, it's very hard to measure. Uh, so that's a footnote there that, that, that could lead to, you know, further conversation about doubts and discouragements and things like that. We, we don't see as the Lord sees. We understand that. But back to your question, faithfulness, Um, thinking through not—if I could say it like this—thinking through being blameless in ministry, that I have done what God has called me to do in the right way for the right reasons at the right time, thinking through four categories, perhaps—preaching, praying— loving and staying. I don't know who it's original with, it's probably not with me, but the idea of, are you faithfully discharging a ministry of, of preaching behind the pulpit? And what I, what I don't mean by that is you're teaching your people all the isms mm-hmm. of theology, or your pet theologies, or your, your, your pet systems. What I do mean is, are you explaining the text? Are you applying the text? Are you sitting down <laughs> and, and asking the Lord to do the work? Are you loving people? If you took a poll um, of your people, would they say that my pastor loves me? Mm. And that may be indirectly or directly, but do you come across accessible? Uh, are you, in a sense, being trying, I- as much as you can, being all things to all people in the sense of, I, I am trying to, to give my life away, pouring my life out for my people. Am I loving them? Am, am I praying And we all have to just look in the mirror and ask the Lord to convict us. Am I a man of prayer or not? You can't measure that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then am I committed to stay? And I think that might be where we touch down, where we have sparks flying, that faithfulness may look like I'm I'm just not going to print my resume on Monday morning. Mm -hmm. I'm just not going to go there in my mind. Mm -hmm that if the Lord wants to move me, he knows my name, my frame, and my address. And if he wants to move me, fine. He was the one that put me here to begin with. It's not my ministry, it's his ministry. But faithfulness may for some, and it's been that way for me at times, it just looks like I'm just staying put. I'm just asking the Lord to use me, as Spurgeon said, not to be great, but to be useful mm-hmm. and if I'm staying in one place and not with one foot out the door, perhaps that's a measure of faithfulness that that does not need to go
1: unnoticed. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give for anyone uh, preparing for pastoral ministry? Um, think you know how will life be different for them mm-hmm. once they step into the role of the pastor? So two things, I'm thinking about life in
2: the church and life outside the church. If a man comes to me and says, I think God has called me to ministry, uh, usually the first question I'm going to ask is, where are you serving in the church? Mm. That's a great So uh, you need to find your calling by serving the church, right. not the other way around.
0: Mm-hmm. I've, I've noticed a trend, too, where guys who say they aspire to ministry
2: who are, says? are more
0: distancing <laughs> yeah. themselves from the church, too, like they're not right. serving as mm-hmm. much, or they're... You know, not as plugged into the church. Mm-hmm.
2: So listeners here, feel free to send me an email or something on this. I could elaborate more, but my call to pastoral ministry came from teaching a young marrieds Sunday school class at 8.15 in the morning. <laughs> um, I could legitimately connect the dots between—I uh, just wanted to do some First Thessalonians 2.8 kind of just bearing my soul to people— my wife included, and that led to, you know, I really like this. They say that I'm good at it. Um, God's using it to bless other people. I, I wonder what's going on here. So, so I, I, I'm encouraging listeners to say, "Where am I serving the church?" Mm-hmm. Thinking about my call to pastoral ministry, ministry in, in, in general. The, the the other thing outside the church. Uh, if I could just put it like this, you just need to get your ducks in a row and you need to get them in a row from your family you need to get them in a row financially emotionally uh, you need you need to be able in a sense um, to pull up stakes and it may not be geographically uh, but many times contextually in your circles of friends, things change when you enter into. The office of pastoral ministry. So I, I would begin looking at a man's life, and by the way, this is this is a perennial kind of thing that pastors need to survey. Of you know, if, if I was entering the ministry, would, would, would I be ready in the sense? But asking a guy um, practical questions, like what's your what's your schedule and rhythms of life like in your family? Mm. Are you are you ready for a transition? Mm. Are you in debt? Uh, what, are, what are your kids doing? What are you involved in? What are your extracurricular activities? Um, those are some of the things that I would say because the bottom line is that, that ministry is going to require all of you and all of your family. Um, you're going to be in a fishbowl. And as Danny Aiken has said before, I'm glad because God puts men in fishbowls to, to be exemplary. Uh, so I, I take a lot of encouragement that Yes, men are looking at me and families are looking at my family. Um, may God give me the grace to discharge the fishbowl mm-hmm. with, with faithfulness.
0: Mm. That's really good. Any final encouragement? If you could just think of maybe one or two things uh, for pastors listening to this episode right now who may be struggling with doubts and discouragement just with their place in ministry.
2: Mm-hmm. A couple things. One, that I've been there. Two that most of us have been there. Three, all of our heroes have been there. Mm. Uh but I want to say this, and I, I hope people hear this more than anything. The f- the fact that you would say that you have doubts and discouragements likely means that you are a better pastor than you think you are, because you're concerned about those things. Mm. Mm. The very thing that might be the catalyst of doubt or discouragement is actually the affirmation that our head is on right. It's on straight. That the very thing that discourages me means that I'm concerned about the right things. Mm -hmm. So I would turn that from upside down to right side up to say the fact that you are a conscientious pastor— in light of likely a sea of men who are not thinking about these things, Mm -hmm. uh, might be just the very thing that qualifies you to be a pastor. Mm -hmm. So take your discouragement, take your doubt, crucify it before the Lord Jesus, but then see it in such a light that the fact that you are dealing with these issues may be the very thing that you need to wrestle with to affirm yet again that you are not only in the right place, but the Lord we serve is an on-time God.
0: Mm. Mm. Amen. That's so good, brother. Oh, well, that'll do it. Neil, brother, thank you so much for joining our conversation today and sharing these these, these wise insights. Glad to be uh, here. If you haven't read any of Neil's work on our website, I want to encourage you to do that today. Uh, so thankful for this brother and the work he's done for our center and, and the work you do at Coates and just everything you've done. Uh, And we want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. If you found this episode helpful, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear any feedback you'd be willing to give us. As always, it is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors, and I hope we've done that today with our conversation.
1: And as always, my brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.